Hey everyone, this week on the show, Ryan welcomes Stephanie Gray and they open the dialogue on assisted suicide and discuss the flaws of valuing one life over another. Despair is suffering without meaning. So someone who despairs is likely to commit suicide. Someone who isn't despairing isn't going to commit suicide. But the common factor both individuals have is an experience of suffering. A person who doesn't despair still suffers. A person who does despair suffers. But whether you despair in the experience of suffering is entirely dependent on whether you find meaning in your situation. Hey, my name is Ryan. Welcome to another episode of In Doubt. Today we have another important conversation with Stephanie Gray around the topic of medically assisted suicide, which is a relatively new law in Canada. And like abortion, our perspective on assisted suicide deeply influences how we view ourselves as humans, deeply influences how we view others, our neighbor and our friend, deeply influences how we view the sovereignty and the goodness of God in creating human beings. So how are Christians meant to respond to medically assisted suicide? If we believe that every individual is made in God's image, this is an important question for us to ask. So in this episode, Stephanie Gray helps us understand how to think and respond to this new law in our country on medically assisted suicide. Well, today we have a very special guest with us that we've had on recently. Her name is Stephanie Gray, and she is a pro-life advocate, and that includes abortion. But what we're also going to be talking about today is we're going to be looking at assisted suicide, which is a very new thing in Canada for the most part. And so, Stephanie, thank you for being on. Great to have you here with us. Thank it, you. It's I'm a glad joy. To be back. Assisted suicide is something that hasn't been around for a very long time. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about the history of assisted suicide? And maybe for our listeners who don't know exactly what it is, what is assisted suicide? Sure. So it was illegal to do assisted suicide in Canada until a couple years ago where the Supreme Court threw out our law on assisted suicide and basically told our elected representatives that they needed to come up with a new law that allowed for some assisted suicide, which is what's happened. And so um, now people can apply for what's called medical assistance in dying or MAID for short. And I I'm using the term to identify what we're hearing about in the public, but I actually don't use the term normally because I think it minimizes the gravity of what's going on. Medical assistance in dying sounds totally acceptable. But the reality of what we're talking about is suicide with assistance. So someone who basically perhaps is so sick, perhaps maybe they're paralyzed and they're near death, but they are not capable of putting a pill in their hand and swallowing it. So they need someone to help them. But they are saying, I want to end my life, but I want you to assist me in executing the act if I myself am not capable of doing it. So it's getting assistance with the end result of doing what suicide itself would do, which is to end your life. And so there's already an effort to broaden the law to make it something that more and more people uh, can ask for and actually have done. And that's that's what's going on. And so my big focus is to help people think through the issue from a perspective that upholds the dignity of all persons and respects human life, uh, not taking away the gift that, of life that God has given us before God himself would have our lives end. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important distinction, that life is a gift. Mm. Life is difficult, but life is a gift. There's a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes where it says, it's better to be a live dog than mm. a dead lion. Mm. Yes. It's better to be alive than to be dead. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so that piece even for me stands out of, yeah, life is beautiful. 
We know even from uh, Deuteronomy, I, I set before you life and death, uh, the blessing and the curse. Choose life then so that you and your descendants may live. This, this focus on God is a God of life. Death came as a result of our sin, but we were meant to be living. Yeah, yeah. I, I find this fascinating, assisted suicide. For thousands of years, billions of people have been avoiding death at all costs. Right. What's changed? Why all of a sudden are we saying, yeah, it's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. take it at your own decision. What is going on? What's the change? What do you see maybe in culture? What's the landscape look like where you're thinking, why are these people, why are the laws changing in the way that they have been? I think we're a culture that is hyper-focused on control and a culture that's hyper-focused on rugged individualism. And when you are sick and when you are dying, you lose control over a lot of things. And you can no longer be the strong, independent individual. You need others. And because people don't like um, needing others, they want to think, I'm independent, I'm strong, I can take care of myself, that it, it's hard. It takes a humility. It takes a vulnerability to say, I need you to feed me. I can't feed myself. I need you to change me. I, I can't toilet myself. Those are huge things that are profoundly difficult for adults. I mean, we're fine doing that for children because they're not as cog- cog- you know, aware um, of, of everything. But it takes a profound vulnerability to allow ourselves to be taken care of in a very intimate way, vulnerable way by another. And yet when we do allow another to do that, we're actually teaching them through our vulnerability Uh, what it means to love, that we're providing them an opportunity to step outside of themselves and and care for another. And it's interesting in the assisted suicide debate, people will talk about dignity and a loss of dignity. And I often think of an analogy to, you know, some priceless piece of art. If it was hidden away and not discovered for many decades and suddenly people come upon it in an attic and it's covered in dust, but we know it's a priceless piece of art. Would we say the art has lost its worth because it's covered in dust and cobwebs? Or would we bring in a specialist who knows how to restore art to remove the dust, remove the cobwebs and say, this is so valuable and so priceless, I need to treat it in a way that reflects the value. That's what we would do. We'd remove the dust, remove the cobwebs. So when someone is sick and dying, they're soiling themselves, they can't feed themselves, they're drooling, whatever the case may be, they've not lost their dignity. They still have their dignity. But if we leave them to sit in a soiled bed, if we leave them with drool without wiping it, then um, the response should not be to eliminate them, but to make them clean to wipe their face, to whatever the case may be, to say, no, by my action towards you, I want to restore the dignity that is already there, but by my action is showing I, I recognize that in a deeper way. Yeah, and these laws reflect a lot about us. And so, again, with somebody who's maybe who's a senior or elderly and they can't care for themselves, or maybe they have cognitive disabilities mm-hmm. where they can't take care of themselves, how does this impact how we view the value of the individual, like this painting you're mm-hmm. saying, is valuable underneath all of the challenges yes. and the difficulty? And yeah, what do you see with that? Yeah, so people, um, I, I would say, again, not only are we focused on control and individualism, but we're focused um, on uh, accomplishment and success so that when someone who is sick, elderly, uh, disabled, and can't do what they once did or can't do what others can do, there's this attitude of they shouldn't be because they can't do. And one of my favorite ads was put out years ago on a billboard by the Canadian Down Syndrome Society, and it had a picture of a little girl with Down Syndrome. And the caption simply was, celebrate being. 
And I love that idea that first and foremost, we're human beings, not human doings, and we ought to celebrate that we are. And so although we like to be useful, although we don't want to be a burden, our dignity and value is not in our usefulness. It's not in our usefulness. It's in our nature, our values in our nature, our essence as human beings, and we're made for relationship. If you look at humans imaging God, what is God? God is a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's a communion of persons. So in imaging God, we also are meant to image the relationship that God is, that we're more than ourselves. And so when we are vulnerable, we need others. We're actually really magnifying the image of God, being in relationship. And I I think of an amazing program in Washington State at a care home called The Mount. And there's a great quote by one of the care home workers who says, we all have common needs to be recognized, to be loved, and to have someone to share life with. And we don't need to be successful. We don't need to be in control, but we do need to be loved, to be, to be um, um, recognized, and to have someone to share life with. And that we can always accomplish, no matter what someone's situation. We can accomplish those three things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a challenge for us in North America, where we're such an individualistic world. And so in your experience of understanding assisted suicide and researching and, mm-hmm. and getting into all the knowledge, what are some of the effects that take place on the community of mm. that person or their family system, their family unit, that are consequences of their decision to go through with mm. suicide or assisted suicide? Well, you know, I think we can even just look at suicide to see, well, then you're going to have people that carry on living who think, what could I have done differently? You know, and so then they're going to, rightly or wrongly, and it could be wrongly, but they're going to be left wondering, did I not do enough? How could I have helped my loved one more? So when we look at suicide, we consider that a profound tragedy, and we see the negative effects that has on on many people and communities and families. So why, when we throw the word assisted in front of suicide, do we suddenly think it's okay? You know, I remember when I was in elementary and and high school that we were always taught, you know, respect your friend's secrets unless they're going to hurt themselves. If a friend tells you they're going to commit suicide, you tell a parent, you tell a teacher, because we want to help them. And yet, if you're a patient in a hospital and someone says, I want assisted suicide, now we take that seriously as opposed to trying, trying to stop it. But I think, yeah, there's going to be effects where you also have people that are guilted into asking for assisted suicide because their neighbor asked for it and their neighbor got it and they think well they're not a burden on their family but um, I feel like I'm a burden on my family what's the point of me continuing to live and so you can have almost copycat situations where other vulnerable people ask for something that deep down they don't want but they're influenced by the choice of another because the reality is no man is an island we're impacted by decisions that other people make. And so when someone makes that decision, it has negative results. But when someone makes a life-affirming decision, it has positive effects. And the example I think of is um, of a young teenager in uh, Texas that was in a car accident, became quadriplegic. And this is how she spent her days. She would watch the news, read the news, listen to the news. And whenever she came across a story of someone who was going through a difficult time, they were suffering, they were going through a hardship, she would call for an assistant who would come and place a little stick in her mouth. And then she used the stick to pound out letters on a keyboard in order to write notes of encouragement to people she read about in the news. Now, that young teenager lived a life of profound meaning, even though she was a quadriplegic, because she looked at her suffering as an opportunity to find meaning, 
as an opportunity to empathize with and relate to others. But if she looked at her suffering and just committed suicide, then all the people that she has um, helped through her notes of encouragement would never be helped. And would they perhaps end their lives because they felt despair? But because in her suffering, she said, what good can come from this? How can I help others through this very, you know, terrible situation that I've been in? She's now turning her situation into something that becomes redeemed in a sense. So I think that's what we need to do is we need to help people see that because we impact people by our choices, let's make positive choices rather than negative ones in the suffering that we face. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, are there any recorded attempts of assisted suicide by able-bodied, fully healthy um, young men and women who are maybe in their 20s, 30s, 40s, who Mm. aren't maybe having disabilities or haven't been in injuries where they're uh, life altered uh, in, in a drastic way. And what would the laws be regarding that? If you or I said, let's go to the hospital right now and just ask for assisted suicide, what would be, right. what would be? So right now in Canada, that wouldn't be allowed, but already we're seeing in countries like in Europe, some European countries where assisted suicide and euthanasia have been legal for years, where more and more people that aren't necessarily at the end of their life are saying they want assisted suicide because they think they've just lived a full life or they think their life isn't worth living anymore because of this or that difficult thing that has happened to them. So this is the concern that what's going to happen in Canada is we're going to become more and more like some of those countries in Europe like Holland or Belgium. Um, And and there's an organization called the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, which has released two documentaries so far exposing how extreme um, an assisted suicide mindset is getting in these other countries to point out that we should be very concerned that that that's going to happen here. And so I think in response, what we really need to do is what I often try to do in my talks, which is help people um, understand the philosophy of a Holocaust survivor by the name of Dr. Viktor Frankl. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, in which he writes a lot about suffering, suffering in the first half of his book that he lived through by being in the concentration camps in the Second World War. But the second half of his book, because he was a psychiatrist, is about his theories in psychology where he shares different stories of patients of his who had gone through profound suffering. And one of Dr. Frankel's insights is that the last of the human freedoms that can't be taken from us is the freedom to choose how to respond to the situation that we're in. And his whole philosophy is that no matter how difficult our suffering, how difficult our circumstance, that in knowing we can choose how we respond, how we respond, then we can choose a positive, not a negative response. And in one of his, his other insights that I often use in my talks on assisted suicide is he says, despair is suffering without meaning. So someone who despairs is likely to commit suicide. Um, someone who isn't despairing isn't going to commit suicide. But the common factor both individuals have is an experience of suffering. A person who doesn't despair still suffers. A person who does despair suffers. But whether you despair in the experience of suffering is entirely dependent on whether you find meaning in your situation. And so his insight is if you can find meaning in your suffering, you won't despair. If you don't find meaning, you will despair. And so the example of the teenager in Texas that I just gave who became quadriplegic is an example of someone who found meaning in her suffering so she didn't kill herself. 
Another example I think of is two young men from England, one by the name of Dan James, the other one by the name of Matt Hampson. Both these young men um, were hurt in rugby accidents and became paralyzed. So Dan became paralyzed from the chest down. Matt became paralyzed from the neck down. It was more severe. He requires the use of a ventilator. Um, But Dan isn't alive today because he traveled from England to a clinic in Switzerland where he got assisted suicide. Matt, on the other hand, is thriving. He volunteers with children. He raises money for spinal cord research. He's a motivational speaker and a writer. Now, both Dan and Matt suffered in a very similar way. They became paralyzed. They could no longer do the things they loved, such as playing rugby. But Dan despaired and Matt didn't. Why? Because Dan found no meaning in his suffering, but Matt did. And so what I really believe we need to do in a culture that has not only embraced assisted suicide, but wants to expand assisted suicide access to situations that are far more extreme than than what are already allowed, which is a problem, we need to help people find meaning in their suffering. Because I I can't eliminate suffering. I'm not God. (laughs) But I can help people find meaning. Mm-hmm. And and Matt Hampson is proof of that. This t- Texas teenager is proof of that. Dr. Frankel is proof of that. So we need to help others do that. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the challenges uh, in a pleasure-centered society, which is if I want to live and have a good life, it's going to be because I'm comfortable. I travel. I go to the warm places in the winter months. I have good food all the time. I got you know I'm dressed well. I have all that I need. But what I think we are getting to as a society is recognizing that these things aren't enough. Mm-hmm. These superficial pieces do not provide enough meaning because when the suffering comes, I just want to quit. Right. Which is why I think it's so important we be able to distinguish pleasure from happiness because, yeah, when you're really cold and then you leave the winter and you go to a hot climate like Hawaii, which is my favorite place on earth, you're going to experience pleasure. Um, but While pleasure isn't necessarily bad, it's nice to experience a pleasurable experience like a great vacation. At the end of the day, we are most fulfilled when we're happy. And you can be happy but not always experience pleasure. You can be sick and have cancer but be happy. Why? Because you have family around you and because your family has slowed down to the point that you're actually spending more time with each other rather than perhaps on devices because you think, well, I have less time left with this individual, so I want to prioritize connection. And because you've done that, which we humans are made for, you're actually going to be perhaps riddled with cancer but be happy because you have what we're made for which is connection and relationship so i think the key is that what makes humans thrive is relationship with others which is something that can be achieved even if pleasurable moments can't always happen like a great vacation or traveling the world in general or or all kinds of different things Mm -hmm. and finding purpose is important and this Mm -hmm. is where jesus invites every believer every person to follow him and say, hey, actually give up your life. Right. And I will give you true life. I will give you purpose. I will give you meaning. I will open your eyes to the opportunity to join me in the mission of bringing good news and making all things new. And I think that's an invitation that is worth considering, mm-hmm. right? An invitation to consider my life could be about more than just me. Right. My life could have purpose and impact. And, you know, this conversation of assisted suicide is gets to the heart of what are we about as humans? Yes, yes. And what are we about as Christians? There's a great little short book called On the Christian Meaning of Human Suffering. And my favorite quote from it is this, suffering unleashes love. 
Suffering unleashes love. And if you think about it, when do we step outside of ourselves? Um, it's when we see someone around us who's suffering or struggling or weak or vulnerable and we think they need help. And it's their suffering that unleashes our love. And as my ministry is called, then love unleashes life, that when, when someone experiences love, they experience that they are cared for for who they are, it gives a whole new perspective on their situation and it unleashes life. Uh, it can unleash it figuratively uh, or literally, you know, if someone's faced with an unplanned pregnancy, for example, their suffering can unleash the love of a pregnancy care center, which unleashes the physical life of the child who's cared for. But it can also, when we're loved, unleash life, just our spirits are higher. And so if you think about it, when someone is suffering, they're sick, they're disabled, if we use that as an opportunity to love, then that gives them the figurative life that they need, the, the encouragement to go on, to, to live through their days satisfied because they're connected with others. But the idea that suffering unleashes love and love unleashes life is the heart of the gospel message. That we sinned through Adam and Eve, the original sin, which separated us from God. So now in being separated from God, we're suffering. God saw that and said, I'm going to unleash my love. I'm going to send my only son who will come to the world, who will suffer, die, and rise so that what? You can have eternal life. That's the gospel message. We suffer, unleashes God's love through Christ which then gives us the path to eternal life. And so that's really what we want to communicate to people. Yeah, it's a beautiful message. Mm -hmm. And um, so maybe somebody's listening to this is like, okay, this is a great starting point for me. This conversation has started uh, some thoughts and some questions in my own mind. What else do you have? How can yeah. I continue growing in my understanding as I think of the morals and the ethics of this topic of assisted suicide? Mm -hmm. Are there any resources you could direct some people to? Yes. One of my favorite books right now on the topic is one that my former colleagues Jonathan Van Maren and Blaise Elaine have written called Discussing Assisted Suicide. It's a short, easy-to-read book. It also comes from a non-sectarian perspective so that as Christians, if we're speaking to people who aren't Christian, we can nonetheless convince them that assisted suicide ought to be rejected. So I wrote a book review on it where there's a link to where people can um, order the book. So if people just go to my website, loveunleasheslife.com, go to the blog, um, you can see my review on, on their book. And I would say, in brief, the key uh, question they bring to the debate is this. They say, who gets suicide assistance and who gets suicide prevention? They say, for example, if someone's about to jump off a bridge, how do you decide whether you push them off or pull them back? And they'll say, you know, if, if, if you start talking to the person and you find out, you know, they're depressed, their spouse left them, they're overwhelmed, they don't have work, we often think, oh my goodness, let's, let's pull them back, let's get them help and resources. But if someone says, well, I'm 80, I have cancer, the chemo's not working, I'm just tired, I'm going to die anyways, so I want assisted suicide, we maybe not literally would push them off the bridge, but if we would give them assisted suicide, it's as though we're pushing them off the bridge. And so why would we assist one suicide but prevent another? And people often say, well, we assist suicide because we support choice, that if someone chooses it and they want it, I have to respect their autonomy. But then I would say, well, wait a minute, and this is what they say in the book. If I will say it's about choice, but I will stop someone from killing themselves, like the person whose spouse left them, and I say, no, you can't kill yourself. If it was really about choice, I would support them in killing themselves. If I pull back some people from killing themselves, then as much as I say it's about choice, it's actually not. It's about judgment. It's about me judging your life is not worth saving in one case. Mm, your life is worth saving in another case. So although I'll say it's about choice, it's actually at the end of the day about judgment. And who are we to judge? 
that's not a life worth saving. Well, that is. So if we believe in equality, then everyone should get suicide prevention rather than an unequal situation where some get the benefit of suicide prevention, but other people are going to get suicide assistance. So they unpack their their arguments in, in greater detail. So at loveunleasheslife.com, people can see the review of the book by Jonathan Van Maren, Blaise Lane, um, discussing assisted suicide. The other resource that comes to mind is the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, which has produced two excellent documentaries. So if you want to watch something rather than read something, people can get that by going to the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. What are some things that maybe we're not thinking of uh, so far? You know what? I have seen the transformative power of music when it comes to people who are sick and suffering. And there's an excellent documentary I highly recommend called Alive Inside. And it's about uh, a man who was a retired social worker who was going to care homes and seeing sick elderly people slumped in their wheelchairs who essentially looked dead. Um, they, they weren't aware of themselves or where they were. There wasn't much interaction with their environment. But he knew the power of music, and so he started to interview their families and find out what music they listened to when they were in their late teens and early 20s. And then he created a musical score, uh, a playlist rather, of the types of music each different patient had known as a, a young person. And then he put earphones on them and play their music. And these people came alive. The person who was slumped over sat up, sat up straight and started to sing songs that they'd heard decades before, word for word. They didn't know who their children were. They didn't know where they were living, but they remembered the words to songs. And what that's something that tells me that when it comes to assisted suicide, if, if people are out of it and they seem dead inside rather than alive inside, the solution is not assisted suicide. The solution is let's get creative. Let's use our imagination. How can, for example, music be a tool to provide life and encouragement and beautiful moments for people in these situations? And so I have experienced this in my own life where I volunteer and I play my ukulele for patients who are sick, including some patients who have dementia. And I have seen the truth of this man's research when I pull out my ukulele and I start strumming, you are my sunshine. And then the person with dementia starts singing along, my only sunshine. And I, I see them come alive and also remember things when there are so many other things they can't remember. And so I just think it's so important that we get creative and ask ourselves, how can I use my gifts and my talents to better someone else's life so they don't even ask for assisted suicide because they want to live a full life until life naturally you know, ends. Well, life is a gift mm. and it's a gift worth fighting for. And so Stephanie, thank you for being on with us today and helping us navigate this conversation. It was a pleasure to have you. Oh, well, thank you. It was a joy to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of In Doubt with Stephanie Gray. These conversations that we've had with Stephanie are really important for us as Christians to participate in, especially with the biblical perspective. And Jesus modeled how to interact with others and how to value people who hold different perspectives than us. So be sure as you continue to have these conversations, to have them in a loving, grace and truth filled way. And don't forget, for more resources, you can follow Stephanie Gray and the ministry of Love Unleashes Life at loveunleasheslife.com. In Doubt exists to bring the good news of Jesus into everyday issues of life, faith, and culture that young adults face. If In Doubt has encouraged you and you are passionate to help others grow in the truth, we want to welcome you to partner with us. As we continue to provide resources, we depend on the generosity and partnership of people just like you to help communicate the good news of Jesus to a world that needs him. 
So your financial partnership, whether big or small, goes a long way in helping us achieve this goal. You can also find out more about InDoubt at InDoubt.ca if you're in Canada and InDoubt.com if you're in the United States. Download our app to stay connected with us and you can download that on any platform available. And we would love to hear from you on topics you'd like for us to discuss and how even InDoubt has impacted you. Email us at info at InDoubt.ca for anything, to connect with us, to share a comment, or to ask any question. And stay connected with us for next week's episode as we talk with Scott Sauls, who's a pastor and author, as we chat about his newest book, Irresistible Faith. In Doubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life, faith, and culture that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S. <laughs>